0: Hey, everybody, and welcome to another bonus episode of Cinemaholics. I'm your usual co-host, Will Ashton. Uh, John Negroni is uh, unfortunately not here again. I'm given the keys to the car once more. Uh, you know, uh, however you feel about that, I uh, you're welcome or I apologize, I guess. But thankfully, I'm not alone. Once again, joining us, he is a writer for Nashville Scene. He's also written for The Playlist and The Young Folks. You know him. You love him. It's Corey Woodruff. How are you doing, man?
1: I'm good. Uh, I'm, it's nice to be loved, I guess. I yeah. mean, I'll, I'll take it. Um, I think uh, the last time I did this was this summer. Uh, I was on for the... Me and John did one on Bo Burnham Inside. Oh, yeah. Which I don't think
0: you've watched yet. I have not watched Bo Burnham Inside. Uh, that is another Netflix release, though. Um, mm-hmm. It is? Yeah. I might... I don't know. I've debated whether I'll watch that for my end of the year. Because I assume it's going to be on some... Top ten list or something, right?
1: Yeah, I'm still trying to debate whether I'm going to put it as a movie or not. Like, it's difficult. I mean, it's like
0: they put it in theaters for the cachet of being a movie. Yes. So I don't know. I if I were a purist, I'd say it's a Netflix special. But they're clearly yeah. trying to make it a film or have film credibility. So.
1: Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. yeah I, I would say it counts. It's there have been Netflix specials or, sorry, uh, mm-hmm. stand up specials, I mean, that have been theatrically released, so it's not out of the norm. But, um, yeah, that's you know, that's another film. That's not what we're talking about today. Today, we're going to be talking about The Harder They Fall, which is a revisionist western that just came out. Uh, well, it was in theaters briefly for like a two week or so run, and now it's on Netflix. It's a uh, Directed and written, or co-written at least, by James Samuel. And it has uh, pretty much uh, an all-star cast. I mean, we got Jonathan Majors in here, Idris Elba, Zazie Beetz, Re- Regina King, Delroy Lindo, Lakeith Stanfield, RJ Seiler, uh, Dion Cole, a bunch of people you know and like. And it's just, uh, yeah. So um, you, I think you had more expectations for this, Corey, than I did. Because this one kind of came under the radar for me. I'd heard about it, but I didn't know too much about it. Is that the case?
1: Yeah. I mean, the, it was one of those movies where we're beginning to see studios realize, like, you know, including the streamers like Netflix, and Amazon, that like, these mid-budget adult films are not going to sustain themselves unless you get these really starry casts. Yeah. Um, and, and the interesting thing is like this is what old Hollywood used to do um, where if they really wanted to get people to show up to movies, they would just load the thing with all the actors who they had on contract or that they could – kind of rope into the production and you know like again i know people like to think that like the avengers and mcu were like the first people to put these just big audacious uh ensembles together that's not true at all this was going on well in hollywood's history um you know and and that style of building ensemble kind of faded out a bit when you began to see actors get bigger pay raises and they would kind of become more star-centric like instead of having eight really cool actors in one movie it would be like one and, you know, then you would kind of structure the entire plot and because that's what you had the money for. And then when the age of the real, like, bona fide movie star came in, and particularly, you know, when you began to get IP involved and when, you know, those kind of single starring action movies and dramas really kind of came to fruition kind of post-New Age, like, you, it became very out of date. And it was hard to get that many actors together because it was just so expensive. But now that Hollywood has kind of shifted away from the movie star centric environment more towards like an IP thing, whereas someone has put before, like instead of, you know Ben you know, Ben Affleck being a major movie star who gets people to show up to movies, now it's like Iron Man that's in Batman or like the big quote unquote celebrities driving business. So You're beginning to see actors more willing to, like, take less pay in order to do these types of movies where they can more showcase their talents. And because, again, I think people forget that, like, actors want these movies to survive. Like, this is not just an issue where it's just like they just want to do the superhero movies. Those pay well, but they don't provide much of an acting challenge as opposed to kind of what's classically trained in the art. So uh, you're beginning to see these, like, really, really starry, you know, dramas and mid-budget films and westerns and comedies and all this start to come out that you know have a lot of these really cool actors in them because they're all taking pay cuts in order to keep these things going so i think with netflix who obviously can pay people what they want um they've got a really cool promising cast some really cool established people some folks who are clearly on their way up and like this was an example to me of like all these really exciting cool people coming together and obviously the director jamie Samuel hadn't made anything yet so that was kind of you know not in a major cinematic way um, but that was really why I was just so excited. And I love Western, so it's probably of course, one yeah. of my favorite genres of, of filmmaking. And, you know, that's one of the ones where it's like I really have gone and seen, you know, a good bunch of the stuff that's came from the past. And I feel decently versed in it, maybe not like an expert, but I know kind of the history of the genre and how it's evolved. And it just seemed like a cool opportunity. But my biggest thing is like, of all the genres, like that's the one I want to see in the theater the most. And I had the opportunity to do that with this one. So that was partly why I was also kind of excited. I knew for sure that was going to happen.
0: Yeah, I'm a bit jealous. Uh, I actually just saw it at home. There were a couple theaters near me that were playing in theaters, but I didn't find out about that until uh, when I was a little bit too late. But yeah, this one... I mean, Netflix has been, I think, slowly kind of pushing their stuff into theaters. Uh, you can see Red Notice right now in theaters. Uh, Tick, Tick, Boom is going to be in theaters and uh, Limited Engagement uh, pretty soon. Power of the Dog is going to be in theaters. But yeah, this one... Is one of their most bonafide blockbusters, which, as you mentioned, is um, exciting because uh, James Samuel uh, is. And I don't know. We should mention at the top. I don't know if that's exactly how you pronounce his name, but I'm just going off of uh, Google uh, for that one. But uh, yeah, James Samuel. Uh, as I think you said, his name, his stage name is The Bullets. He's uh, primarily known as a musician. This is his first film. He directed, um, I think, a few short films prior to this. But yeah, he really got like, I don't exactly know what the budget is. Let me see if I can look it up. But I mean, he got quite, you know, the cachet for a first feature film. And, you know, certainly he's trying to really prove himself with this first film in a lot of respects. Uh, and the fact that he got such a esteemed cast is uh, more than commendable. But yeah, at the same time, like you mentioned, it does seem like Netflix is, you know, continuing to kind of establish themselves as a premier studio. They don't want to just be, known as uh just a you know kind of -of run-of-the-mill streamer because i think there is even though it's you know name the game right now there is kind of a stigma i guess with that as far as cinema is concerned people are just like oh Mm -hmm. like especially as as far as the academy is concerned it's just like oh uh you know streaming movies are considered less than and uh i do kind of find myself amused like when you mentioned that people are coming to westerns now uh, to avoid superhero movies, because in a way, you know, back in mm-hmm. however many decades ago, westerns were the name of the game, and people did, yes. like, character dramas to avoid doing westerns, and yes. now it's kind of come full circles. So now people are doing westerns to avoid superhero movies. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so, but yeah, I mean, um, the only thing I really knew about this film going into it was that Idris Elba was involved, and that uh, Concrete Cowboy, when I saw that TIFF last year, I thought, oh, like a Western with uh, Idris Elba, like, cool, like, awesome, like, I want to see that. And then that's not exactly what we got, close, but not quite. And then I heard, like, no, 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 the movie you want is The Harder They Fall. And it's like, that's the, like, sort of traditional, also not quite traditional Western that happens to star Idris Elba, like you said, among other people. But, yeah, I mean, um, so first tell me a little bit about, like, have you seen any Netflix movies in theaters prior to this? I have, actually. Okay. I've seen
1: a good number of them in theaters. I think the oh, really? very first time I saw a Netflix movie in theaters was, uh, I want to say Roma. Okay, yeah. Because um, I did that. They had a press screening for it. And I've seen I've seen that. I've seen Marriage Story, night Is My Name. Um, seen a, I've seen a couple. Um, I will say, they have been really good, at least where I am, like, of with not like in non-pandemic times, putting these movies like in press screening formats and then the Bell Court. So the Irishman in theaters, of course, Um, like we have a good independent theater that has worked well with Netflix to get things on the screen. Um, I'm seeing Power of the Dog as a press screening on Wednesday, which I'm really excited about because, again, another Netflix Western. Um, And I think that one of the things that I've kind of had to come to terms with over time is like Netflix, they're. They're doing their thing right now, and I don't necessarily feel like they're as dangerous towards the future of, like, theatrical release as people thought they were. Because they're—I they're, they're I think they're beginning to realize they're leaving a lot of money on the table by not at least giving these some sort of theatrical release. Because, again, it's just tickets. I mean, they're, it's just adding revenue. And I know that you have to kind of change up the way you do marketing, but, like, there is potential for them. And, again, I think they want to be in theaters because, again, like, they're not going to make a bajillion, you know— Oscar movies, it feels like they're making a lot of Oscar movies a year now, and they're being very active in awards, but I think the long-term goal for them is to balance that approach with more stuff like Red Notice that will play, you know, in, 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 in a sort of way, and I think they do want an IP movie deep down, I think they're going to want multiple of those, like every studio does, but yeah, right now they've seized, like the Apple and Amazon have, they've seized this like mid-budget adult market and they're giving these movies opportunities or giving them budgets. And right now it's like, even though they're not playing in major chain theaters, they're trying to give these things theatrical release. And in my mind, it's like as much as you kind of hand ring about streaming, it's like, you know, no one else is putting a Jane Campion Western. And movie theaters. Like yeah. no, like Warner Brothers wouldn't have done that. Fox wouldn't have done it. Like these are studios that wouldn't have necessarily yeah. given that money, you know, maybe the
0: possibility. Maybe ten years ago, but not anymore. Yeah,
1: exactly. Like again, that used to be business. But right. now it's just like you're more hesitant, and or maybe you want you might want bigger star than Benedict Cumberbatch. who is a big deal, but you may want to cast the movie differently, and you yeah. may want to try to plug it. You know, with like you know, like Will Smith can get away with King Richard at Warner Brothers, but like that's still a studio that still kind of wants to play the Oscar game. So yeah. the long and short, I guess, what I'm saying is like I, I've had access to a decent amount of Netflix movies in theaters, which has kind of helped make up like Mudbound I saw in theaters. Um, so th- it's kind of helping make up for the kind of the anxiety I guess you get when you see like streamers like green light these movies is that they seem like they're making an effort and seeing this in a the theater was awesome.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, like I said, I'm definitely jealous. I wish I had that opportunity, especially considering how much of an outright blockbuster this is, um, let alone how stylish and, uh, you know, fun loving it is as well. But yeah, so like, it sounds like I'm going to take a, uh, a shot in the dark and say you like the film.
1: You know, I, I did. Yeah. I, I did enjoy this movie a lot. Um, reasons why I liked it um, might be a little different from how I've enjoyed other westerns It kind of predated this one. Um, but I, I, I very there's like one movie I'll say later that I think this plays the most to that is a little bit newer in terms of the genre. But like, I mean, it's it's very much in that line of of fine western filmmaking.
0: Yeah, I mean, it does. I mean, I think deliberately kind of tread a line where it, it's hitting certain western beats or certain expected western beats certain like characters fit into certain archetypes playing to like certain expectations but also like we said it's a revisionist western i think i'm assuming the movie you're referring to is probably django unchained um as far as
1: actually right. no oh, okay. um i i think django unchained is and, you know, feel free to disagree with me. I think that movie was tying to directly more make a statement out of what it was trying to do since it was so focused on the horrors of slavery. Yeah. Um, and I feel like the harder they fall is the new Tombstone. Um, okay. That's, where yeah. it is like trying to revive the popcorn Western. Because as much as, like, I think the power of this film comes in the representation the representation of the cast. Right. Um, and kind of flipping the archetypes and letting, you know black actors play these type of roles because again, like they don't really touch on, um, I guess the the context of the time is kind of hovering over it rather than it driving every scene, I suppose. Um, Because again, in plot, this is a very traditional Western format. Like this is something you could have imagined John Wayne doing, you know, or maybe Gary Cooper or um, Jimmy Stewart. Like this is, this is a very standard Western story. And like the script doesn't, I think, And again, it's almost like it kind of feels freed to where it's like even though we're dealing with black actors in a period piece, we don't necessarily just have to focus consistently on the trauma of what people went through at that time. That we can maybe tell stories that also focus on themes of empowerment, themes of, you know, skirting away from just having to be purely kind of. Reliving all of these things and re- kind of reshowing the history that has been very, I think, well-documented in film's history of how mm-hmm. horrible that time was, and I think you're beginning to kind of see an outcry. Of people being like, "Hey, we, you know, let's empower black artists to be able to tell the type of stories they want to tell without it having to always be about the pain that they've gone through." You know, so it's just like I think that's why part of this movie is so cool is that like there are themes of racism playing into it at times, but it's not necessarily the entire scope of the film. Um, And I think that's why it almost at times feels a little bit like not necessarily shallow, but it's like, it is, it's a popcorn movie. Like it, it's playing for the style. It's playing for the big moments with the, with the gunfights and the excitement and the music kind of concliding and the really cool scope shots of people riding on horses and big vistas. And I, I felt like the way they but the sets and I, it just it reminded me so much of Tombstone where it's like, you know, I don't know necessarily this is going to be like, you know, the quote-unquote best movie of the year, but I think it's absolutely going to be one of the most enjoyable. Just pound for pound, this is just a blast of a movie to watch, and I really feel like it kind of takes that place of Tombstone, where it's like, you know, and I think Tombstone's a great movie, and I think part of the reason it's great is just because it's so pulpy, and I think this film is just such a, a genre exercise that kind of feels freed about having to be so, you know, kind of, planted in the past mm-hmm. that it kind of feels fresh in a way. And I think that's what tombstone yeah. did the genre when it came out.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, I, um, I didn't directly think of tombstone, but now that you mention it, it does seem like a very obvious point of comparison. I guess for me, when I was thinking of Django Unchained, I just think about how this movie is so clearly trying to mimic the spaghetti Western style, but it's also clearly like putting in modern influences, like, like fairly modern soundtrack and like having, you know, like kind of like these, like, uh, self-aware like title cards and all that stuff and in, in a way that feels very deliberately uh in reference to Tarantino's film and Tarantino's style. But oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah but uh, yeah, because like I think you're getting to something that I found very interesting about the film, which is that watching it, I was kind of wondering it's just like, okay, is there like a greater political message that it's trying to say as far as like you said, like with Django Unchained, there's a clear like Tarantino's trying to say a lot through the character of Django. And I mean however you feel about the film, he, you know, has message you want to say and whether you feel it does it well or not. uh, I think he makes that point come across. Whereas like with this one, like you said, it feels like it's more about honoring a uh, time honored genre, but incorporating Mm -hmm. and making it more inclusive in a way that we just simply haven't had too many opportunities for, Mm -hmm. you know, a prominently black cast like this to be in these parts and be an ensemble like this in a way that, like I said, it, it feels it, it, it took me maybe a second to realize it, but something I did find very sort of cathartic about the film is that it is able to just kind of be its own thing without the pressure of mm. feeling like it has to do all these different things at once. It's like by existing it of itself is a progressive and meaningful film. And I think that is something that I really admire about the film and also something that, that I think makes it, more enjoyable to watch. But at the same time, just on its own terms, it's just a well-made, like you said, pulpy, entertaining film. And it's just, you know, it's just a lot of fun to watch.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, you know... I think people have kind of contextualized the Western in that spaghetti format now to where it's like if you're not thinking of John Wayne, that's the immediate thing that comes to mind, which is so interesting in the history of the Western because the spaghetti Westerns at the time were kind of these very cheap productions that, you know, like if you saw in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood that like actors would flock to if that was kind of their last resort. And now they've become, you know, obviously because of directors like Leon, like they've become image bearers almost, and right. what people kind of think Westerns are. And I, I think that this film, it plays a lot of tribute to the Spaghetti Western, of course. And it, it feels very Tarantino kind of it kind of evolved almost from kind of that, like, because again, you know, between Tarantino and Robert Rodriguez, they're the main two directors, I feel like, that came out in the 90s and, like, paid homage to all that kind of, mm-hmm. you know. Like remix. Like- yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, they, they're the ones that kind of came out and, like, took all of the quote-unquote lower-line movies that, you know, weren't, like, the traditional Grain Hollywood yeah. productions and kind of, like, gave them new life.
0: Right. Um, I, I forget. I, that, that's what yeah. I, no, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Ahead. I was just going to say, I, I was trying to remember if that was John or me that used that term, but I feel like, yeah, like, when I watch a Tarantino film, I feel like I'm watching, like, a remix of cinema, like all these classic influences. Yeah. like, let me just kind of put my own little spin on it. Yes. So, sorry, not and, to interrupt. And,
1: honestly, Scorsese did the same thing. I mean, I feel like we, sure. we, of we so often, yeah. yeah, I mean, film is a, it's, it's an evolving, dialogue with the past. And I think that's why when people kind of like thumb their nose at some of the more modern directors who like kind of break off the past, I mean, that's the whole language of film. It's like, you know, it, it, it's a continual conversation between all these different artists, between like what, what they liked, what they didn't like, what they did, how they're kind of pushing forward what they did. I mean, again, like one of my favorite movies from the nineties is swingers. And that does a complete like, like, Open homage to Reservoir Dogs and talking about the, the 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 habit that movies got into trying to copy that format, which in and of itself, you know, Tarantino robbed a bunch of things to make Reservoir oh, Dogs yeah, from absolutely. the past. So it's just like, you know, and I think that's why movies like this are cool is because James Samuel is clearly trying to do some of what Tarantino was doing, but I think he's pretty well versed. I mean, I, I kind of caught some some kind of general like. Plot themes of stuff you find in, like, Howard Hawks and John Ford and, you know, um, that style of, you know, the, the, the gold moldy, I suppose, which obviously those films have to be looked at in proper context of when they were made and what they're saying. And I think that one of the cool things about the Western is you can go back and say, oh... I know some of these movies are the John Wayne traditional, there's racism, there's a lack of proper context, but a lot of the old Westerns are incredibly smart movies that are trying to say some really progressive things. Like, I mean, goodness gracious, the totality of High Noon was just a huge commentary on the blacklist that was going on in Hollywood. So it's just like, and then, you know, when Hawks made um, Rio Bravo, he was having a commentary between, I think it's kind of, they've talked about of you know responding to high noon and you know the the difference of the way that wayne and them viewed hollywood it's just you know the history of the western is so interesting because you know it was very subversive while at the same time being incredibly dated and i think that when you know people like Peck and Pa started to really show you what the west was actually like um and i think john ford did a little bit of that in the searchers um with the way that he kind of depicted wayne as kind of against type because he's a very dark character in that and but when Pa, especially with Ride the High Country. I mean, putting those two guys in there that have been been like the staples of doing these classic westerns in a very dark R-rated environment, and obviously the Wild Bunch changed all of that. But like this type of movie, I think deals with the realities more of how the West actually was, while also kind of allowing itself to play with some of those themes that made the western such a staple of American cinema. And you know, I don't know if this film is as good as those because those are you know, bona fide masterpieces, but like this film is certainly playing with a pulse that like those films couldn't have done with the way that film has evolved. So I think there's such a cool dialogue that this film's having with the past. And even like you say, with recent past, like a movie like Jane Doe Unchained, which is incredibly, or The Hateful Eight, which is Tarantino's kind of effort to really pay homage to the genre that I think in part made him.
0: Yeah, I would agree. But um yeah I mean is there anything uh, cuz I have some criticisms but I did not know if you had any mm-hmm. in particular I mean I wanted to make sure if, of course that we kind of got more into like what we oh, liked yeah. about the film but there's anything in particular that kind of didn't w- quite work for you or you wasn't quite a fan of uh, I
1: think I think the script is not the best thing about it um, I liked the way that the third act plays out. The third act is like just one of the most enjoyable things you'll see in a movie this oh, year. Yeah. And one of the best. Great shootout like, stuff right there. Um, but like one of the difficult things I think about it is that the script at times I think can be a little so focused on moving the action and kind of playing with the different things that are going on that you kind of lose sight on that. Honestly, the, the, I think there's I, it's one of the things where I think. I think the people that obviously you know Samuel was involved with the script writing process with the uh, Boaz Yakin, who's kind of a veteran screenwriter. I don't think they necessarily had the strongest like bone for bone script, um, but I think that it makes up for it with just the the stylishness that's been going on. I think that in part that's just such a great you know thing that kind of covers up at times the fact that this isn't the deepest movie.
0: Yeah. Um. I think. Yeah. yeah just uh, for me, I, I think ultimately. It's just about the length, I guess, and because the middle segment for me just kind of drags a little bit, um, and because it is like the action, it it is front-loaded to beginning and, like I said, the end of the film. So the fact that the middle kind of feels a little bit rudderless, where it is a lot of characters just kind of talking in rooms together, it it does. I feel like unfortunately lose some of its momentum in those segments. I think that's one thing that prevents me from like outright loving the film. Is that I, I just think. James Samuel, as a first-time filmmaker, even though he is able to be stylish and have fun and kind of really bring a good energy to this, I think there are just some moments in the middle where he just doesn't quite capture that same enthusiasm. There's like some scenes that I feel like feel a bit uh, almost procedural. like He kind of has to do this to lay the groundwork for what he wants to do at the beginning and the end of the film. But I don't think it's the worst in the world. I just think it's something that kind of holds it back a little bit from being... Uh, not quite as effective as I, I would hope it to be. But yeah, I mean, overall, I think what's worth champing is really what's worth highlighting here. I mean, any criticisms that I would have about it are, I think, shadowed by what I find really effective and really engaging about the film, especially for a Netflix original.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think you can tell that Samuels has like a history in doing visual albums. Um, You know, like he's worked on, you know, helping artists bring their music to life in a visual way. And I think that that is kind of a cool voice that we don't always get to see in movies these days. And I think that as he continues to involve his directorial career, that's going to continue to serve him well, because I think it's just such an unmined area. Like, obviously, one of the most landmark visual works the last 10 years is Beyonce's Lemonade. And this reminded me a lot of the way that it's kind of that music video format. And we've seen directors come out of music video careers and make films. But the way that Samuel kind of almost infuses more of how do you make the music video and cut the music video. And I think at times, like... You know, I'm surprised it wasn't more economical with his run length um, because of his history there. I thought that, But I thought that the editing was really strong and the way that he kind of weaves everything together. Yeah. Um, I didn't really I couldn't tell that it was that that long. I think the movie just kind of flew by for me because I was so engaged. But like sure. um, I, I definitely feel like that if the film had had like a stronger script it could have been like Great, yeah. But as it is, I think it's an incredibly good film. And um, when you have that ensemble that's so stacked, like Elbow was my favorite part about it. I think just the presence and the gravitas mm-hmm. and just the, the way he built a character without saying a lot, just with his body language and the way that the script kind of – that's one thing the script does really well is build around him and kind of create this atmosphere around this Kind of villainous character who's so much more complicated um i always loved majors i thought he was good but honestly outside of Elba, the best performance to me was daniel deadweiler um, who plays cuffy who's kind of a kind of a kind of a very subtle gunslinger who's mm-hmm. not very you know people under, overestimate her and, or underestimate her and or underestimator and she's actually probably the best shot of any of them at the end of it. But like uh, there's such a, she, like someone I didn't really know before this and she was so good and her presence was so strong to where like she would be in a scene with like these big actors and not act all of them. And that was just such a cool little thing that, um, I think she will definitely get some more, uh, and she's on a, a Tyler Perry soap opera called The Haves and Haves Not. Um, and I'm curious if uh, her career is really going to take off after this. Because she's kind she's of a nice little career so far. But I think that there's a lot more uh, coming her way. And there is because she's going to be in the uh, film about uh, uh, Emmett Lewis Till's mother. Oh, yeah. Obviously, Emmett Till, the horrible situation that happened there. Um, she's the star of it. so oh. Oh. um And uh, – Chiony Chukwu, who did clemency at, in 2019, I believe that came out. Um, Viola Davis' film about the death penalty—that's a big role for her. Yeah. So I think that something may have gotten said somewhere that's like, "Hey, this person's really good," because I think yeah. she was like clearly one of the best parts of the movie.
0: Yeah, I mean, I was—I would say it's probably the best find of the film, and certainly I think, yeah. like you said, like I think the fact that she's able to hold her own with these really. You know, powerhouse actors, whether they be, mm-hmm. you know, established veterans like Delroy Lindo and Idris Elba, or, yeah. you know, up and comers like Jonathan Majors and Sazi Beats, but also giving a fairly subtle, often intuitive performance at the same time is a, a great credit to her as an actress in this mm-hmm. film. Um, yeah, no, I think the performances in general are often quite strong. I think, I think almost by design, the villains are maybe a little bit more interesting and charismatic mm-hmm. than Jonathan Majors and in this but that's nothing against jonathan majors i just think he kind of gets stuck with the kind of more he's been better stri- but he's stri- still good yeah i think he fits the bill i think he gets yeah. what you what you need out of him for this it's kind of like i think lakeith stanfield and idris elba and regina king are probably having a little bit more fun with their roles because they yeah. get a little bit more like kind of scene chewy parts but mm-hmm. i don't think anyone's walking out of this like feeling underutilized which is what something i really yeah. respect about it especially yeah, from the main yeah. cast um but yeah i think uh that's kind of my general roundabout thoughts. I think it's a well-made, entertaining film. Maybe not like the most profound entry in the genre, but certainly one that I think provides a lot of fun thrills and proves to be a good uh, showcase for its uh, first-time filmmaker. But is there anything else you want to say before
1: we wrap up? I wish they would make more movies like this, because I feel like when people make Westerns, I think the best Western of the last five years was Scott Cooper's Hostiles. Um, I think that's like borderline masterpiece level filmmaking. Like I wouldn't say yeah. the N word for it, but I think it's incredibly well done. Have you seen Hostiles?
0: No, actually, we were talking about that in my other yeah. bonus episode, funny enough to tie it together. We were talking about that during yeah. Antlers because we discovered that's Hostiles. That's a good movie. Is it? Yeah. I mean, oh, yeah. That's Hostiles the only awesome. uh, the only Scott Cooper film I haven't seen, surprisingly.
1: No, that is if you hop on it like soon, I think you'd really find a lot in it. Like, yeah. I think it's a movie that came out at a really weird time in the awards season. Yeah, it, it was like a position itself. Uh, yeah. But and then the distributor isn't even around. It. it was Open Road that did it. So it was like, oh, yeah, that's right. Strange.
0: Yeah, it, it kind of just like farted into theaters. It's just kind of just yes. like, yeah, here it is. And it's like, yes. what do we do with this? I don't know. Is it's, it a word it's
1: excellent. Yeah, like it was. I think one of the best movies that came out that year. Like, I wish I could have redone my top ten in seventeen because it would have been pretty high up on it. Like, it's it's great, but like, I, I think a movie like that is excellent. But I think that people when they approach westerns, it's kind of like the assassination by Jesse James approach, where it's like it's very serious, it's very dour, um, focusing on just the grimness of what it was like to to be in that era, and certainly it was not always grim, but like one of the best Westerns ever is Blazing Saddles, which is incredibly sardonic and, you know, satirical um, in dealing with the horrors of the time, but in a very light way that kind of it was very subversive at the time the way it kind of broke through the noise of i think people forget how transgressive that film is like in terms of when it was made but like sure i think you can have fun with a western while also pointing out how crappy things were back then and i think this is a great example of that and i'd love to see more people play with the genre with the kind of because again you can't really do gold oldies anymore like you have to kind of talk about the The difficulties of what happened at that time uh the myriad of them but i think that there's a cool way you can kind of do you can have it both ways like i think this film is done i think uh jingo and chained obviously did like you can you can deal with the seriousness while also playing into those spaghetti tendencies that kind of helped revitalize the genre as something that really has lasted. So um it's note Leon, but like again, I think Jamie Samuel has a really cool career ahead of him and I'm I'm very curious to see if he'll like make a sequel to this or to, it kind of seems like it may have one coming yeah, at some point.
0: The ending, yeah.
1: And I'm sure Netflix with the way – it's like the number one movie on Netflix right now. So I'm sure they would love to make another one if he's into it. So yeah. I'm, I'm curious to see where this will go. Um, I'd, I'd watch more of this for sure. and I'd rather watch a sequel to this than another Marvel movie. So it's just like sure. – You know, I'm, I'm, I'm very pro this movie. So I guess i give it an A- minus at the end of the day. Um, I think if you'd asked oh, well, me right after I saw it, I would have given it an A. But I think as time has gone on, it's like – I think it's a really strong A- minus. that's kind of verging on A.
0: Yeah, I forgot to mention we don't actually do uh ratings anymore. Oh. Well uh, but yeah. s- since you gave one I will give one as well. I'm uh I'm not quite as high as you, but I'm certainly quite high. I think I gave it like a firm B. Like okay, I, I enjoyed it a lot. It definitely got what I wanted out of the film. I don't yeah. I don't think I'm gonna be like thinking about it a lot or like really meditating on it a lot, but I think Sure. I got what I wanted out of the film. And like, if I think about like recent Westerns, I would give an a, like I think of like proposition or okay. uh, maybe like Django Unchained, the assassination, Jesse James, you mentioned uh, maybe sure. Bone Tomahawk. Um, I need to see bone Tomahawk. Bone Tomahawk. I definitely would love to hear what you think of bone Tomahawk. Cause I like it a lot. Enough. It is a brutal film, um, yeah. uh, but it's certainly one worth well watch well worth watching. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I would certainly say this is among the uh, really solid, uh, westerns recent westerns that we've gotten and unfortunately those are fairly few and far between nowadays so certainly nice to see netflix footing the bill and putting mm-hmm. something like this out justifies putting out any number of uh garbage forgettable films that they put out in a, in a, yes. on a weekly basis i think uh yes so yeah um well thanks again Corey, for joining yeah, me of course. And, uh, yeah if you guys uh, want to check out the film if you haven't already it's available now on streaming on netflix so it is indeed. Thank you so much for listening to our show. Be sure to subscribe to Cinemaholics on your favorite podcast app of choice or find us on YouTube. See you all next time.